What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 160 of The VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. How you going, bro? 160? Yeah, 160. It's a big number. That's a lot. Now, we already celebrated our third anniversary last week, and thank you, everybody, for sticking with us through the tech difficulties at Rumble. Uh, I think the the clips, the videos are at over 200 views now, which is awesome. Um, I also noticed we had a bit of an uptick in our podcast downloads, like just the normal audio platform downloads. So obviously people were heeding the messages mm. uh, and going outside to try to actually uh, to listen to the show. So I uh, really appreciate your support. Thank you very much for joining us again and, and bearing with us. Thank you. I did notice that even though we couldn't access it, it seemed that the thumbnail at least, which could play, it, so you could turn the audio on and just have the thumbnail, not actually click the thing, it worked. Yeah. And the play account was going up, like people could access it, just we couldn't. Yeah, it, it was strange because from... So my account, obviously, being the creator account, I could, ever since I uploaded it on Thursday, I could actually watch the video through my own account if I wanted to. Right. Um, so it was strange. I do know that Rumble did make some big updates to the UI last week. So I don't know if something stuffed up in the back end or anything like that. But look, right. they're, they're, they're trying to make big changes on their platform. So we're just going to have to grit, grit and bear it sometimes. But look, just thanks guys for supporting the show, uh, even though it wasn't there available served up for you at uh, 5 a.m. Monday morning. Because I know me, there's certain podcasts I listen to at certain times and I expect them to be available at that time. Uh, so I appreciate uh, yeah all the support. Uh, can I just talk one quick thing before something that I did not mention to you that I wanted to talk about, <laughs> which is what I tend to what I tend to do. Loves a curveball. Yeah, I have been watching so much Barstool stuff lately. I'm more invigorated by Barstool before, and especially Dave Portnoy content because he's now having to sit in that seat and make it a profitable business again. Yep, and he goes on. He's been on a bunch of business podcasts that I was listening to. And it's so actually inspiring. So a guy that's now worth hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. to now go back to the grindstone and make a business, like work it from the ground up all over again. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people said, oh, he's just bought a turd because it loses money. It does lose money, but it, lose, it lost money because the acquisition, the casino that had bought them before didn't require them to make money. They required them to make content. Yeah. So you could just get away with whatever you want. Yep. And uh, Dave obviously had stepped back because he had, you know, two, three hundred million dollars in the bank. He didn't need to be there anymore. He thought he was going to retire. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's been able to buy that thing back for a dollar and go, all right, we have two hundred million dollar revenue business mm -hmm. losing. I, I've heard a couple. I've either heard them losing ten million dollars a year or using twenty million dollars a year, and. The steps that he's gone through already, he's like he walked into the sales team. He goes, "The sales team's too big. What are the comp plans like?" Okay, yeah. the comp plan. Like I, he knows what it costs, or he knows what you need to run it because he builds yeah. it from the ground up. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the lesson for me, and something that I try to bring into my business practice is, I try, I resist outsourcing almost anything. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I know nothing about account uh, accounting. But I do all my own accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I do my tax return, but I prepare everything for my accountant to do it, and I taught myself, and I'll, I'll actually sought some help to to give me an understanding of it. Because the way I see it, and I wonder if he looks at it the same. I'm assuming he does. If you don't know what to expect or what the job is, 
how can you get someone for that job? That's right. Like, you don't, I don't have to be the best at it. I don't have to be good at it. I just have to know what it is and know what the outcome's supposed to be, know what uh, know what kind of uh, labour it takes to do that thing. So it I also, try to do everything. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was just sorry to cut you off. It also means that you have a real handle on what's happening within your business. Yeah. Because, you know, we've, we've worked in businesses before and anyone else listening can, can think of a time when they know this has happened. How many times have you been in a business where essentially the 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 not base level but the workforce that's driving the business that's making it all happen is like literally going down in flames but there is a middle management a middle manager who is so concerned for his own job that he's hiding all the issues from the owner oh, yeah. or the ceo because he's just trying to pretend that everything's okay um and with things like your accounting and stuff like that, you're right. That's normally the stuff that people want to fob off because it doesn't interest them. It's boring. It's uh, people told me that consuming. day one, getting get an accountant. Day yeah. one, get, a, get get an accountant. But also, that just means that you're putting in another failure point where you're, you know, it's like out of sight, out of mind. And if you get the wrong person in that role who hides these things from you, you don't even know the issues that you have. Yeah, totally. Totally. I saw that clip of Portnoy where he walked back into the office and he's like, where is everybody? Like yeah. all the working from home stuff. So yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to see him retake over the reins. Because the other thing too, you got to remember, that's his baby. Like yeah. his story, you've mentioned this before, his story of starting that thing from the ground up and the blood, sweat and tears he put into that thing for like 20 years. This week was their 20 year anniversary. There you go. Like yeah. it, it's an amazing story. And so to... You know, yes, selling your baby for $500 million is an awesome thing, but it's still your baby. It's still very important to you. And to then wander back into it and go like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Uh, it's super interesting. And I think but that- even, even from like a macro level, this, this awards night that they had to commemorate the 20 year thing, he was going to have like a small, like the, the, the previous company had lined that up for them. Yep. And- uh, when and then obviously the changeovers happened. Dave picked it up and goes, "Why haven't we sold any tickets to this? Mm. Why is it structured this way? This sucks. Like we're a content media company." And he re- like, for example, there's all these awards that we're going to give it out. He got rid of all of that and he wrote his own, right? His own awards because he's like, "This is not funny. Like no one's mm. gonna, no one wants to see this. People want to see this. They want to, you know, they want to see outrage, carnage. They want to, they yep. see the funny stuff." Yeah. And he just redid it himself. So the fact that, and I. I don't, I don't want to call him a... I think there's a difference between a micromanager and someone who knows about the micro jobs within the business. Yeah. Like, the fact that you can do it doesn't make you a micromanager. If you're... Because micromanagers are bad. Yeah, definitely. So if you give someone... Uh, uh, like, if you've given someone a task, you've got to give them the trust to do it. That's right. Right? And they're going to have to do their own skew on it but I still want to know what the job is. Like yeah, I still want to yeah. know what they're doing. You know? And like you were saying before, I think the real issue is that when he sold the business, the actual focus of the business changed. So yeah. it might not have been that the management of the business was doing an incorrect job based on what the new goals were. Sure, it's just that when yeah. he's taken it back over again, the goals have changed and the management style has to change with it. Yeah. yeah so interesting. It's really impressive. I, I feel mm. really inspired by watching his you know yeah. the next 20 year story of Dave Portnoy is just going to be yeah it'll be super already. interesting to follow yeah um, we've got two main things that we want to speak about this week the first one is Qantas there's a lot going on in and around Qantas at the moment and I think that it is 
it's a conversation worth having because a lot of the issues around Qantas explains a lot of the other issues we're currently experiencing in Australia. So we're going to go into that. And afterwards, we also want to... Uh, I'm going to read out for you a new uh, article by Michael Schellenberger. Now, Schellenberger has been doing some amazing reporting over the last few years, in particular uh, on the censorship industrial complex, which is something that is obviously very close to our hearts, being that we've been the victims of it. Uh, But he, he wrote a fascinating new piece, which literally details every Western government around the world, the legislation they're trying to bring in, and it's all pointing in the same direction. So it was a fascinating read. And I would I would encourage all of you to go and follow uh, Schellenberger yeah, on, on X, as in Twitter or Substack, um, because he is really flying the flag for free speech at the moment and his reporting's fantastic. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So let's let's kick it off with Qantas. Do you wanna do you wanna start off uh, in regards to the class action? Yeah. Um there was a class action that was announced this week that uh, basically during COVID when planes effectively weren't allowed to fly, you know, the government said that no one, no, no one could go on holidays, no one could leave the country, no one could come into the country. Uh, what Qantas had, had then done was said, okay, for everyone that had booked tickets, we won't give you money back. What we'll do is we'll give you a credit mm. so you can, like dollar for dollar credit. So when flights are available again, you can use our service. You can use yeah. that money. And the problem is they actively pushed clients or coaxed clients into taking that option as opposed to just paying the money back. Yeah. And the argument being, uh, that number was $1.4 billion. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And so all the class action is about is that effectively they've had $1.8 billion of free money mm-hmm. from their clients. Yep. which they've either used to invest or to uh, or to reduce borrowing costs. Yep. And either which way, they get a massive profit from that uh, from that money. So this class action is not asking for $1.4 billion in reparations. What they're asking for is, well, hold on, if you got an interest reward or capital reduction reward, well, we want a piece of that because that's not Qantas's money. That's right. That's we paid customer's for customer's money. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting thing. And with something that's very important to note, because you see this sort of stuff with businesses a lot where they will try to avoid refunding you money and give you credits. Anyway, I've probably spoken on the podcast before about all the issues I had with the local pool doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is with, Uh, consumer law in Australia if you take money for a service that you cannot provide within a timely manner the client by consumer law is entitled to a full refund or a replacement of uh, an adequate service or product so it's actually part of the consumer law the problem is what what these companies do is they tell the people on the front line to just push back against the customer and they don't really go into the specifics of them breaking consumer law and the majority of customers just cop it. Yeah. So I, I I would suggest that there's probably 10 to 15% of people who were in that position uh, who had paid for flights that were unable to be provided to them probably complained enough and got their money back. But the majority of people don't. And that's what this class action's about, is Qantas has essentially... Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the term for it? 
they have been coerced. Yeah, well, they've coerced people, but it's been untruthful as well to essentially hold onto people's money to get a massive financial benefit out of it. And now, like, now that flights are available, but they're three times the price from when these flights were originally booked. Well, your dollar for dollar credit oh, doesn't yeah, give you the same flight yeah. that you paid for originally. It gives you a yeah. third of that flight. And yeah. so then you're sort of forced to go and pay the extra two thirds on top just to be able to get your initial investment back. Uh, very, yeah, very dirty, underhanded. Well, it gets kind of worse, right? When you when you do delve in a little bit deeper and yeah. uh, Jason has sent me an article that is, look, it's, it is two years old, but- um, I want to get, I want to use that one last. There's a, okay. there's a okay. few, I, I sent you a few articles um, because there's a lot going on in and around Qantas at the moment. The first article I want you to bring up is the one about um, the Australian government recently uh, refused Qatari... Is ABC or... It is an ABC one, yeah. Yes, here we go. So this is ABC reporting from Wednesday the 23rd of August, so a couple of days ago. Travellers dealing with sky-high airfares ask why government is blocking international carriers. Uh, Why did the government knock back Qatar Airways' request to run more flights into Australia? It's a question that won't go away, especially when airfares are high, international tourist numbers have not recovered since the pandemic, and the Transport Minister is saying as little as possible. Qatar had wanted to fly an additional 21 flights per week into Australia's three biggest cities, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Last October, the airline's chief executive, Akbar Al-Baker, said Qatar wanted more capacity, partly blaming Qantas for higher airfares. In quotes, the largest operator in Australia has cut its flights to 50% of pre-COVID level, more than double the price of fares to Australian people in benefit of the shareholders, Mr Al-Baker said. Qantas has since opened up many more seats. The company said airfares are falling, the market is competitive, and that it does not set the prices for the whole market. But international air travel remains down. Flight Centre Chief Executive Graham Turner said that compared to before the pandemic, the average flights to Europe are 50 to 70% more expensive. So when we talk about these inflation numbers of 7% inflation, 50 to 70% more expensive on international flights to Europe. That ain't 7%. Yeah, that's, that's 7% yeah. inflation, yeah. It's very significant, particularly for those people on lower incomes who perhaps are visiting relatives, he said. Uh, the transport This, this guy looks like... Uh, this Graham Turner, the pitcher, he yeah. looks like he's paid 60% too much. Uh, well, he looks like his business has basically been destroyed by the pandemic too. Yeah. So this is interesting. The Transport Minister's decision. Since the rejection of Qatar's bid was revealed last month, Transport Minister Catherine King has said repeatedly that extra flights were not in the national interest and the decision was based on a range of factors. Ms. King declined 7.30's interview request and provided a statement that did not include any reasons for declining Qatar's application. In quotes, These are not commercial decisions about any particular airline, but rather treaty-level agreements between countries, end quote, the statement said. The decision has caused confusion in parts of the aviation industry. Uh, Open quote, The transport minister should be opening up to the industry and saying what the real reasons are so that we know what we can deal with. End quote. Australian Airports Association Chief Executive James Goodwin said, We should be rolling out the red carpet for any international carriers that want to fly to and from Australia. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go through much more of that because that's the general point of it. So so this is the start of, of this Qantas issue that we're starting to see. 
how many times have I spoken recently on the podcast about one of the ways that we need to fight inflation in this country is because a large percentage of the inflation we're experiencing is from corporate profiteering, not real inflation. And the reason why these big corporate companies are able to profiteer is because there is a lack of competition in the marketplace. So we have had our transport minister refuse an international carrier's request to add 21 additional flights uh, to our three biggest cities stating that it was in the national interest to do so. So the justification, obviously, is protecting Australian jobs. Mm-hmm. But that's at the expense of 50 to 70% more expensive flights. That's not in the national interest. If it's we... also not the free market. That's of that's what grinds me the most. Like, yeah. I, I get frustrated because I hear people all, talking all the time, talking about like blaming unfettered capitalism that's causing all these problems yeah this ain't capitalism dude. no it's not this is the opposite of, of, of capitalism where governments now uh mandate or restrict or or or, or get rid quash competition yeah that's not capitalism that's right and yeah it looks like capitalism because there's companies that are getting really really rich mm-hmm. but the idea is that a competitor comes in and does it cheaper and the customers move their liquidity from the the, the big one mm-hmm. to the little one and then we find what the actual market price of the thing is that's right that's why right. is there a limit on on carriers yes there shouldn't be a limit on carriers if you can fit the planes at the airports and if you can fit them in the air you should have as many planes as you possibly can because exactly. guess what then we can fly around for 50 bucks. That's right. And then what ends up happening over time is that as the prices lower, those international carriers go, you know what? Those $50 flights, they're not in our business interest anymore. We're going to cut those flights. And then the the local guys like Qantas can raise their prices slightly. You'll end up finding what the sweet spot is. But so that's, that's the first part, right? So, so just the, the point out of that part is the Australian government refused requests from an international carrier to increase competition in our marketplace and put downward pressure on uh, flights, mm-hmm. the price of flights, okay? The next thing I want you to bring up is, I think there's another ABC article which speaks about uh, Anthony Albanese's son, Lachlan, who's been given an exclusive membership to the Chairman's, Chairman's Lounge. Lounge. The Chairman's Lounge. Okay. So, Albanese, so this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Albanese deflects questions about Sun's PwC internship and Qantas Chairman's Lounge membership. Uh, I'll just read the, the sort of beginning to give you the gist. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has deflected questions over his son Nathan's membership of the Qantas Chairman's Lounge and an internship he undertook at consulting firm PwC, saying the 23-year-old is not a public figure. Uh, the Australian Financial Review's rear window column has published a series of articles detailing the young Albanese's reported membership of the exclusive club and a two-week unpaid internship in 2021. Now, the PwC thing aside, uh, there's a lot of scandals about uh, consulting groups getting yeah, paid through the nose. Industry. Yeah, yeah. So we can do that at another day. But this chairman's lounge at Qantas, this is exclusively for the elites of the country. You're talking multi-million dollar CEOs, uh, and you only get a membership to this through invitation from essentially the Qantas CEO, Alan Joyce. That's how you get membership. So the entire lounge is about big wigs schmoozing each other, making connections, getting favors from each other, 
a 23-year-old has absolutely zero business in being there. However, this happened shortly after the Australian government refused the Qatar Airways bid for more flights. Oh, Hunter Albanese here. Well, that's that's unfortunately, uh, whether that's the case or not, my perception is that Albanese did Qantas a massive favour and its shareholders a massive favour by removing competition from their marketplace and then Qantas rewarded Albanese in return with a membership for his son but also you would have noticed a lot lately about Qantas backing the Yes campaign for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament and putting uh, Yes uh, paintings all over however many of their planes. So here you go. This is a uh, press release from Qantas themselves. Uh, can you zoom in a little bit more, Alex? So from Qantas's website, flying support for The Voice as Qantas Group unveils Yes Aircraft. Now, this is from the 14th of August. How about a Yes, can I get your bags to the right place aircraft? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the National Carrier today confirmed its support for the Yes campaign ahead of the upcoming referendum for an Indigenous voice to Parliament and unveiled special livery on three Qantas Group aircraft. The livery featuring the Yes 23 campaign logo will be carried on three aircraft, a Qantas Boeing 737, a Qantas Link Dash 8 turboprop, and a Jetstar Airbus A320. Qantas Group CEO Alan Joyce said support for an, ind- an Indigenous voice to Parliament continued the National Carrier's long commitment to reconciliation and more broadly the notion of a fair go. Now, I think anyone who's flown with Qantas in the last however many years would not really be thinking that they were offered a fair go by that carrier, especially in light of the class action that's currently on about them not refunding customers' money when they couldn't provide the service. I'm not going to read any more of that article. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you here. So we've said before, this ain't a free market and this isn't a democracy. We are living in a fascist state. What is the definition of fascism? The definition is when the state colludes with big business to control people. That is what is happening with this connection with Qantas and the Albanese government. The Albanese government took competition out of the marketplace for Qantas. Qantas has repaid them with uh, exclusive membership for the Prime Minister's son and supporting the Yes campaign. But all of this is also paid for by our tax dollars. Because how much money did Qantas receive in government support during the pandemic, Alex? Uh, it's right here. Two bill. So this article is more than two years old. Qantas on track to collect $2 billion of support as Morrison government criticised for not seeking stake. So what I that... actually think it went over $2 billion in the end. I, I, I remember, I think it was like $2.6 billion. It, it was somewhere that went back the handout again. Yeah. So if you just scroll down a little bit... Um, Qantas is on track to receive $2 billion in government support by the end of this year, sparking criticism. So this is from um, 2021. Uh, sparking criticism about the government's failure to seek a stake in the company in return and concerns it will dominate the skies once COVID-19 restrictions lift. The airline collected more than $1.2 billion in federal government support last year, including JobKeeper and aviation-specific programs, more than three times the amount received by its smaller competitor, Virgin Australia. Virgin Did you remember Virgin was making money at the time? Yeah. Now listen to yeah. this. Virgin Australia, which fell into administration last year after the government refused to bail it out, is estimated to have received about $368 million, while the regional airline Rex is estimated to have been given about $150 million. So, again, not going to continue to read the rest of that article. But here's the point. This is not a free market. 
This is fascism. Qantas is obviously the government's baby. And they're in cahoots together, which is why, during the pandemic, Qantas was given $2 billion worth of taxpayer money to keep them afloat, while they refused to keep other airlines afloat at the same time. Also, you guys might remember from this being reported all over the news, the justification at the time for the government to give them that money was to keep Australians employed in jobs, but also to make sure that when flights did resume, that they would be at a reasonable price. What happened when flights resumed? Oh, all of a sudden, there was less competition in the marketplace, wasn't there? Remember, we keep saying for every every industry that has government assistance has the price that is racing to infinity. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not the free market. Uh, anything that has a free market element to it yep. is a race to zero. Exactly right. So, yeah, and now you've got this. It, it's obviously a quid pro quo. Government gave... Uh, and again, you can say it's under Scott Morrison and it's under Albanese. Like, Liberal and Labor have both given Qantas essentially money they've, to, to get something in return. And then in return, Qantas, a like publicly listed company just supports the government's messaging. So I was in the gym and, and I use the gym as a great place to throw out the wildest and craziest conspiracy theories I can possibly think of. Like the one where that crazy plane lady that said that motherfucker isn't real yep. has started a marketing company and a website and hackers have tracked the website IP to show that she's potentially employed by the Department of Defense yeah. in America. <laughs> yeah. she's, a, she's a plant. So I, I throw this stuff out there. Anyway, I threw the I threw this out on the um, the fact that they just reported a two point eight billion dollar profit yep. for shareholders, right? Two point eight billion dollars profit. We've just seen. I'm I'm pretty sure that after the two billion, they got another six hundred million dollars. So yep. I'm pretty sure. Which means that they've effectively just they've classed the the taxpayer money in, taken a little bit off it, and then called that profit for That's the company. That's right. Okay. Now, someone that I that an older lady who doesn't engage in my shenanigan at the gym got into it and says, yeah, and not only that, because they've taken all that money from the government, now they've got to fly the banner for the yes vote. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely out there. Like people yeah. are definitely seeing that. Well, hold on a second. Like, uh, uh, what's his name? What's the, what's the leprechaun's name that runs this thing? Alan Joyce. Uh, Alan Joyce. Yep. Alan Joyce was one of the biggest proponents of the vaccine. Yep. He pushed it harder than anyone because yep. you have to. When you're getting two bills from the government, you've got to shill whatever it is that you've been asked to shill. That's right. And now the yes vote's the next thing. Here you go. Hey, by the way, we paid for that paint on the plane, dude. That's right. That's why we're going to paint it the way that we want it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that that is this is the fascism we're talking about. Government paid Qantas taxpayer dollars, so Qantas is now advertising government policies. Uh, Facebook, Meta, RMIT, Fact Lab, that whole chicanery going on at the moment, which is is mentioned in uh, Schellenberger's reporting, the government announced at the start of this financial year a partnership with Meta to uh, prevent mis- and disinformation during the the referendum and in the lead up to the referendum. So in other words, the government is giving money to Meta for then Meta to give to its independent fact checkers, i.e. RMIT Fact Lab, to uh, fact check any 
no, uh, basically anything that goes against the government's rhetoric in regards to the voice referendum. And I saw something Sky News had done recently, a, a report on this, where they actually went through and checked how many fact-checked articles RMIT Fact Lab has done in regards to The Voice. Uh, so far, they've done 23 fact-checked articles about The Voice, and every single article is uh, questioning the No campaign. Yeah. There's not one fact-checked article which is questioning any miss or disinformation from the Yes campaign. Not one. So in other words, the government's like, oh, we live in a democracy over here. We can't pay RMIT Fact Lab directly to censor our citizens. No, so we're... They can't pay Meta directly. No, no, no. They can't pay the fact checkers. So that's why the government's paid Meta and Meta is paying the fact oh, checkers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same as, as Fauci funding the Wuhan lab. We can't fund them directly. Let's give it to Eco Health Alliance and they can send the money to the Wuhan yeah. lab. Like... We, we've got these Western governments all around the world. Same as Raytheon, military-industrial complex. Yeah, we're pretending that there's rules in place, but just blatantly going around the rules. Um, even even Rookshan put something up, and I don't think that this is really the zinger that he, he expected it to be, but I can't talk shit because he just followed us on, on X. Which thanks, I'll Rookshan. Yeah, thanks. Uh, shout out to Rookshan. Um, just as a quick side note, I've got massive respect for Rukshan for what he did during the pandemic. He deserves every inch of success he yeah, gets because absolutely. he he let people know what was really happening down in Melbourne. But um, he put this thing up where uh, he did some more digging after the whole um, RMIT Fact Lab $800 per fact check directly from MetaThing came out. And what he found is, um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but the like Meta on their website tells them about what the international fact-checking accreditation is and that they only use these accredited sources. But RMIT Fact Lab's accreditation lapsed in like December last year and the ABC fact-check lapsed in about September last year. So oh, wow. both of those organisations are fact-checking things when they're not actually accredited because their accreditations have lapsed. Now... I don't really care because that is like, what is that accreditation? That is literally getting a license out of like a Kellogg's box, like the joke. No, it's worse than that. It's like, it, it's like, it's, you go to a rally and you're told, okay, what's your thought process? Yeah. Is it with us or is it against us? Oh, it's with you guys. Okay. Here's your accreditation. Yeah. It's, it's literally like saying, um, let's say that you lose your license to drive. You can keep driving as long as you obey the road rules. That, that's what they're doing. Now, that doesn't happen in the real world, but it does happen as long as you're fact-checking in line with government policy. But I also... I, I did comment on it. I said, like, I don't think that this is the, like, the shock that it is because these accreditations are as BS as their fact-checks. I don't think any of it matters. And like we've said on the show many times, go and do yourself a favour and read mm. some of these fact-checks. The fact that the fact check is longer than the article it's fact checking and basically agrees with the fact check uh, with the article for 90% of it and then does one little thing oh well uh, they actually used the word the instead of the word and and mm -hmm. uh, it's incorrect or we we agree that what they're saying is right but in context it doesn't help our argument therefore we fact checked it as false or misleading that's right yeah we need to keep the internet to ourselves. Absolutely. Like the, the, the internet is for the people. I, I think this is actually a really good segue through to Schellenberger's reporting, unless you had anything further you wanted to add on Qantas. No, I want to talk about Trump. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that before we go. It's, but... 
two minutes. Last note on Qantas. All we can do, guys, is vote with our dollars with these people. Mm. So if you have to fly anywhere, just don't use Qantas. Go and, go and pay the extra to fly from somewhere else. Because eventually... You don't, you don't pay any extra. <laughs> you can't pay any more. But, well, maybe... You, maybe, maybe save not. yourself money, fly someone else. The more people who reject Qantas... Look what happened with Bud Light. With the whole Dylan Mul- Mulvaney thing over in, in the United States. Their, their stock price tanked almost overnight. And it's not recovering. That's the power that mm. we have as consumers. If all these... The government and the corporations see us as is stupid consumers and all they care about is how much dollars we can give them, well, that's the only power we've got. Put give me dollars throw, to someone else. Let me throw this concept out there because it's one that I lived with for a little bit only because some of it was government mandated. Yep. Don't travel at all. Mm-hmm. Build your stack. Mm. Like, and, and I know everyone's... Wor- yeah, a lot of people are working in shit jobs and think that they need to reward themselves. Yeah. Think about... It, like... I've been very, very, very reluctant to buy toys in this market because yeah. it's hyperinflated, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see the writing on the wall. I've, I've said it that it's going to be rough at the end of this year. Yeah. Wait till then. That's right. Like the longer you hold your money or, or invest your money, and the, the longer you don't frivolous, frivolously spend your money yep. now, the better off you will be. So if you totally. can resist, and I know it's hard, relationships are going <laughs> to struggle through this. I've resisted. I'm going to Japan next month, but I, <laughs> but I had to resist and resist and resist and resist and re- like we wanted to travel as soon as we're allowed to. We, yeah. we wanted to travel, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not going on on planes when they're going to lose our, our bags. I'm not. I'm not having. I've had a flight cancelled on me already when I went to Melbourne. Like I'm just not. Let's get let's get past the rush. Let's get ev- everyone through, and then we'll you know when they've got the stuff tightened up, then we'll do it. Yeah. But I think there's a lot to be said if you can just hold out a little bit longer. You'll get more for your money. Mm-hmm. You would have made more of a dent and you've got options. And having options is good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's go to Trump because it's obviously a massive story. Now, we haven't really prepared a whole lot on it. Um, well, it's not a massive story. And that's the point. Okay. So, okay. so the world is obsessed. And the world's obsessed with Trump impeachment mm-hmm. and mugshot. That's it. Yep. They've just wanted a mugshot. The internet is going wild. And all the mainstream media is like, we're going to see Trump's mugshot. We're going to see Trump's mugshot. Well, they got it today. And uh, I'm not even going to go into the details of the court case. None of it matters. But what I just wanted to say was, I think the left has made a massive, massive, massive miscalculation on this. Because I think this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi is fighting and he says to Darth Vader, if you strike me down, you'll make me more powerful than you can ever imagine. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of the centrists, because forget, so all the rights are going to vote for Trump regardless. All the yeah. lefts are going to vote for Biden regardless. It's the center that you're playing over, mm-hmm. right? It's who can you convert from the center onto which base? Yeah. A lot, like most people in the center are very reasonable people. Yeah. And they will accept, they'll, they'll actually go, well, oh, that doesn't fit right with me. And the fact that they've had like 20 impeachments or whatever the number is against Indictments, Trump, not impeachments. Indictments, yeah, yeah. sorry, indictments. They know it's a joke. They know it's yeah. a political play. Like, I agree. Why didn't they do it in 2016 or 2020? Or why are they doing it the year before the, or the, sorry, the year before the election and when the, 
uh, nominee is about to start. Like, and, and better still, smarter. better still, the the latest indictment they wanted the court case to begin on. I can't remember the exact date, but it's the day before the like Super Tuesday, yeah. um, big Republican primary. Like it, it is. It is as clear as day that this is just politically motivated to try to remove Trump from the race. That's all this and, is about. And I would argue that most centrist Americans won't cop that. Yeah, and, and I agree. And it's interesting that you're saying this because I think that there's a lot of parallels between this and COVID. I think that, like, you know, people talk about the awakening and whatever. I think to a degree what we've realized is that you can lie to and push people in a certain direction to a point but when you get past that point is when people start asking questions and we've said a million times when it comes to being red-pilled all you have to do is realize that one element doesn't make sense and then it's like the house of cards falls because you start seeing you're asking the quest same questions in every other aspect of your life too Mm. and I think that with COVID, they forced so many people to that point where they actually started asking questions through the ridiculousness of like the, you know, you got to wear a mask while you walk to your seat and then you can take it off when you sit down and you're eating because then COVID can't get you, right? All that sort of ridiculousness, right? So people got to that point with COVID. I think with Trump, there is that like Trump derangement syndrome for Democrats in the United States and they did eat up a lot of the propaganda that was fed to them in regards to Trump being the Russian collusion story and Trump. evil guy and grabbing chicks by the pussy and all that sort of stuff. And they they like they affirmed to a lot of those people that Trump's the bad guy. But now, like with the repeated just in constant indictments which come the day after anything gets released about the Biden family, with the like they've literally pushed people to a point where even Democrats are now starting to ask the question and go, is this legit? Because it's like all of these indictments that you guys have brought up, nothing's ever actually happened to him. So like if you guys are right every single time and you control the Department of Justice, how is this guy not in prison yet? Like they pushed to a point where that's like, I'm starting to not not believe this narrative either. And you had the Republican um, debate yesterday, I think it was. Yeah. And what's been really interesting over the last few months is that six months ago, I think when it comes to Republican voters, there was a genuine 70-30 split between Trump voters and Ron DeSantis voters. Because DeSantis got a lot of street cred during COVID and was riding that wave through. I think it's the only reason why he even chose to run against Trump was because he he knew... Yeah, he shouldn't have, I agree. But he probably knew COVID will be completely forgotten about in four years' time. I need to ride this wave of public support I've, I've got going yep. now. Otherwise, I'll be forgotten about. So, look, bad advisors, or if anything, he should have run as a vice president to Trump. But anyway. But what was interesting is that he had a lot of support six months ago. And every single time Trump has been indicted, his support has dropped and Trump's support has increased. So you're right. I think not only have they pushed people so far that there's Democrats now asking questions, and a lot of the people that are asking questions are people like black voters in America. So um, for anyone in in Australia who, who doesn't know or care anything about American politics, essentially black people, the majority of black people in America have voted for the Democratic Party forever because they were told to do so. 
And the Democrats just rely on their votes all the time because they just think it's a, it's an absolute shoo-in that they're going to get voted in. Um, I've seen a lot of black commentators starting to ask questions now as to like, why are you relying on my vote? Like, what have you actually done for me lately? Yeah, yeah. Plus, the other thing too, and as bad as this sounds, because we know there's some like institutionalized racism against blacks in America, a lot of black people understand what it's like to be unfairly targeted by the authorities. So yeah. now you're literally, you're martyring Trump to them. them. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He's one of you now because he's being unfairly targeted yeah. by authorities too. Um, I, I want to say this too. I'm, I don't think Trump should be the president in 2024. Okay. I actually, if, if I had my choice, I would put RFK Jr. in. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, well, sorry, when this pendulum, this crazy left pendulum swings in the opposite direction, it's going to be just as nasty, but it's yeah. going to be nasty in a different way. right? Yeah. And that's the thing that I don't like about when, when Trump comes to power. right? Yeah. Whereas I feel like RFK has got some crazy ideas, but I feel like the pendulum will swing in a completely different direction, a direction that we're not used to seeing mm. and a direction that really cuts at the core of the America's problem. And in, in fact, ours, like Jason has said before, the reason why we talk about American politics is because we are a, we are a satellite yeah. part of America's empire. Yep. And therefore we will be subject to whatever they do. We end up doing exactly. But I, I think that all this heat on Trump is going to force the majority of people to vote for Trump. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, like when you then add in the fact that like, you know, look at what just happened with the, with the fires in Maui. Look at the government response to that. Like people are not stupid. They see the economics of... It was a bit slept on, wasn't it? That response. Oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, the the fact that like in the same couple of days where Joe Biden announced seven hundred dollars to every uh, person in Maui and asked for an extra twenty four billion dollars to send to Ukraine, like that just shows you where where the priorities are. And what is interesting, I, I've heard some political commentators speaking about Hawaii, and Hawaii is like always been like sixty five percent Democrat voters. You really think they're going to vote for the Democrats after what's just happened to them? Like, I just, I mean, some of them still will because some people will just make all the excuses in the world for why sure. these people just treat you like absolute dirt. And so many of them are still going to be just never Trumpers. And I understand well, that too. But you know what I found so, so telling about this whole scenario is like all the problems that are happening under democratic rule are getting blamed on trump he's been out of office for three years yeah, I know. But- and i'm talking it wasn't last year it's like this year the heat is back up it's like oh no that, that was a tr- that's a trump thing oh that's a trump thing that's a trump thing it's like well hold on like you guys are in power mm. and i would argue too that uh trump has made you look silly mm-hmm. because he's got some really really major stuff through well uh, the republicans have got some really really major stuff through under Biden's watch. That's right. And I mean, that's, that's, you've got to give some credit in that regard, but you can't just keep blaming the old regime three years into your term. And and look, Albanese is doing the same thing over here. Every problem that comes up, they just go, yeah, it's from a decade of LNP mismanagement. And like, that is a political tool, but 
the problem is the Some more of it's true absolutely but also the yeah. more that you say it the more it's like yeah we understand that but yeah. leading into the election you said you could fix it and now you're not fixing yeah. it um oh i had a I had a good point i was about to make too Schellenberger. yeah let's 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 move to Schellenberger. Uh, because it's super relevant to, to what's going on. And, and it's relevant to the rest of the conversation we've been having about fascism all around the world. So, um, yeah, so that's the actual article. Anyway, yeah, scroll down a little bit. Here we go. So, Michael Schellenberger. Elite crackdown on free speech worldwide intensifies. From North America to Australia to Europe, elites seek censorship, privacy invasions, and the prosecution of wrong think as, in quotes, pre-crime. Can I just say on that pre-crime thing? Mm-hmm. Whitney Webb has been banging on about this pre-crime thing yeah. for months now. And to get conspiratorial, there is an algorithm, a company, like I can't remember what the company's name is, an Israeli company that is trialing technology, which has enough, is able to collect enough data about you to decide whether you're at the risk of committing a crime. Yeah. And... Just, and I'm sure that that will only be used for the absolute most heinous members of society, won't it? Yes. Anti-vaxxers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dun, so, dun. so the leaders of nations, representatives of international organizations, including the United Nations and philanthropists, say they are committed to creating free and open societies. Meta-CEO Mark Zuckerberg says Facebook has independent fact-checkers, is open to all perspectives, and doesn't interfere in elections. And in response to questions from a colleague at Public, a representative from George Soros's Open Society Foundation insisted the philanthrop- that oh, sorry insisted the philanthropy supported free speech. In quotes, in response to your effort to conflate any attempt to address hate speech as a frontal assault on free speech itself, in quotes, the Soros spokesperson said, uh, open quotes, perhaps the words of the UN Secretary General will help in illuminating a crucial distinction. Addressing hate speech does not mean limiting or prohibiting freedom of speech. Now, just as a side note on that, you might remember months ago, I flagged this on the podcast because I saw Daniel Andrews say in Parliament, that's not free speech, that's hate speech. Yeah. That's, that, that terminology is being used all around the world now. Yeah. But these words are a thin veil covering an aggressive attack on freedom of speech around the world, from Australia to North America to Europe, where the Digital Services Act, which demands internet companies, in quotes, address any risk they pose on society, including public health, physical and mental well-being, goes Notice into... the order they put that in. That's right. Yeah. Goes public into health. effect today. A blockbuster new investigation by Australia's Sky News discovered that Meta Facebook has been paying activists to serve as neutral fact-checkers while, in reality, using their power to censor their political enemies. The context is that this fall, Australians will vote in a special national election, the Australian Indigenous Voice Referendum, on whether to give special political powers to Native peoples. Facebook is funding those in favour of the referendum to censor its opponents. In quotes, An audit of RMIT uh, voice fact checks showed the 17 voice checks between May 3 and June 23 this year were all targeting anti-voice opinions or views, Sky News found. Meta allowed the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, RMIT, to censor disfavoured views even while knowing it was a breach of the rules Zuckerberg established to distance himself from fact-checking responsibility. The RMIT, which is a respected technical university like America's MIT, used the powers Facebook has given it to throttle Sky News Australia's Facebook page with false fact checks multiple times this year, 
breaching the meta-endorsed IFCN code of principles and preventing millions of Australians from reading or watching Sky News Australia's journalism. How did the fact-checkers abuse their powers? By smearing their political enemies as racists. Fact-checkers employed by RMIT have led to numerous code breaches, reports Sky News, including one fact-checker using her social media account to label opposition leader Peter Dutton a fear-mongering racist for his views on The Voice. As for Soros's Open Society Foundations, its spokesperson cleverly tucked a call for expanded censorship into her response to our queries. After saying, quotes, addressing hate speech does not mean limiting or prohibiting freedom of speech, the spokesperson said it means keeping hate speech from escalating into something more dangerous, particularly incitement to discrimination, hostility and violence, which is prohibited under international law. Keeping hate speech from escalating into something more dangerous is precisely the justification for censorship that politicians in Ireland and Scotland are making to be able to invade people's homes and confiscate their phones and computers, as Irish reporter Ben Scallon described yesterday. Consider the twisted logic. Irish police must invade people's homes in order to make sure that their hate materials don't escalate into something that could be illegal. That's a totalitarian move toward the police-enforcing pre-crime as pre- uh, depicted in the terrifying science fiction thriller Minority Report. If you haven't watched that movie, go back and watch it. Might it's be a relevant. banger. Tom Cruise, banger. Yeah. Meanwhile, the UN is now building a digital army of censorship activists around the world to wage war on wrong think, or what it calls, in quotes, deadly misinformation. According to the UN, misinformation is deadly and poses an existential threat. The UN's effort matches the World Health Organization effort, which views speech it disagrees with as a kind of pathogen. In Germany, a court ordered the... Wait, can I wear a mask and just say whatever I want then? Uh, potentially. And then can you... I wear a mask, paint my hair blue and say whatever I want? Yeah, as long as you uh, pre-curse it by saying that you're a member of the LGBTIQA plus community. Yes. In Germany, a court ordered the American writer C.J. Hopkins to either go to jail or pay €3,600 for comparing the COVID lockdowns to the Nazis. The government claimed Hopkins was promoting Nazism when, obviously, he is doing the opposite. While some may take offence at the comparison, it makes clear that Hopkins has a negative, not positive view of Nazism. In the United States, a non-profit organisation called Centre for Countering Digital Hate, whose former communications director worked for the CIA, has successfully led a boycott against X, formerly named Twitter, for not being more censorious. As a result, advertising revenue to X is down 60-70%, to according to news reports. In short, Western elites, both governmental, corporate and philanthropic, are embracing the kinds of totalitarian tactics made famous by the East German Stasi, the Chinese government, and dystopian regimes depicted in movies like Minority Report. Why is that? And how can we fight back? So, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is most of our listeners are Australian, but this is happening all over the world, which means this is a global effort to control people and to control you. And this is why it is so important for us to to take steps into the democratic process. Like, we need to actually engage in democracy. We had a comment on on our Instagram during the week uh, where... I had a post up about this sort of censorship and uh, this this girl said, do people really think that we live in a democracy anymore? And it can seem the way that we don't. Mm. But the reality is that we do. We're just not engaged in it. We we, don't, yeah, we're not 
we're not doing democracy. That's right. We don't have enough people engaged in real democracy to make a difference. So the key is to get people engaged in the democratic process. And the beginning was doing things like making submissions to the missing disinformation bill that just closed last weekend. And look what happened with that. Put a post up during the week. The, the submissions closed on Sunday. On Monday, there was already political fuckery going on with those submissions because they're supposed to be released to the public basically straight away as a transparency measure. Well, now the government's come out and announced that they're going to be drip-feeding the release of these submissions and they've extended the deadline until September to actually release them. So in other words, this is what you're going to see happening. They're going to go through all of the submissions, they're going to find the ones that they wrote or their staff members wrote that are all for more online censorship, and those are the ones that are going to get released first. So anyone who is engaged in this debate will go on and read them and go, oh, hang on, maybe I'm wrong because the rest of the country disagrees with me. That's interesting. Let's, that's a marker that we can... We can follow that, yeah. We can follow it. So, so we can see what you're, if you're, what you're saying is true, the first tranche of submissions that will be released to the public, you think will be all for internet censorship yeah and i'm just going to say anyone that thinks that the internet should be censored is properly crazy agreed absolutely agreed the only reason why your job doesn't currently mandate you for vaccines if they've stopped is because the internet was not censored enough Mm. if it was still censored you'd all be still taking jabs Mm. like this stuff is so important so don't feel disheartened Get engaged, get yeah. motivated, have conversations with the people that are around you. And it's interesting because now you're starting to see, not so much in Australia, although there's been a few little blips in the media that I've seen it, but you're now starting to see, particularly in America, the rise of the next wave of COVID has come back. Yeah. And as um, was the Babylon Bee put it, uh, the new variant, Election Eurocron, has <laughs> returned. <laughs> So keep an eye out because already in America, there is a university which has mandated masks again for the next... And they've just said it's just for the next 14 days as a precautionary measure. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh, where have we heard that before? Yeah, oh. like it is literally the same this. play as last time. I want to say this. Just given my experience at the gym this week and engaging with someone that I hadn't spoken to before, try these subjects on the people around you mm. yeah because they probably all feel like well i can't say anything because it's fucking crazy that's right but when you when you put it out there it's amazing how many people put, uh, pick it up that's right actually it's funny because some of my closest friends are the opposite they'll they'll and I, you can tell because i'll say something wild <laughs> the truth and yeah. they'll just look at me like uh and i know what they're saying in their head I don't want to have this conversation because I've got no basis for my feelings that I have. So I can't engage yeah. with this guy because yep. he's going to rickety wreck me. Mm-hmm. But put it out there. Have these conversations. Have people think about... Like, I find it a really interesting um, social uh, experiment mm-hmm. to talk about what we just went through with COVID. 100%. You go back and say, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when they locked us in a house for a cold? Do you yep. remember when they a mandate a injection that clearly didn't work? Yeah, you just had to do it; otherwise, you couldn't go to work. Yep. And then they they in the context of it, they're like, "Oh yeah, we got a little bit crazy, didn't we?" Yeah, yeah. we did. 
Do you remember when they filled skate parks with sand so kids couldn't play in them? Do you remember what about your park? Your park that got um, the council guy came and yeah, and they they tied the swings together. And uh, when I had Nate out there, and he, he they tried like, oh mate, you're not allowed to be out here. I said, mate, there's no one here. Fuck off. Like you're actually yeah. causing the danger by coming close to talk to me. Go away. Yeah. Like you're right. Now it's an interesting point on that. I've just thought of is my my wife did a leadership course years ago, and it had a really interesting concept in it because when it comes to leadership and leading groups of people, everyone thinks that the most important person is the leader. And to a degree, that is true. Mm. But there's a second person who is just as, if not more vital, and it's a person called the first follower. Mm. Right? Because what happens when, and in the scenario that Alex is painting, is this. Everyone around probably thinks the same sort of things, or something doesn't feel right, but they know it's socially unacceptable to speak about these things at the moment. So the leader, i.e. Alex at the gym... He just goes full-blown and throws it out there. Now, the first follower is the person in the group who then latches on to Alex, takes it as an opportunity to then discuss their own thoughts on the subject and creates legitimacy in the, in the, the conversation. Yeah, also, authenticity. Yeah. Authenticity, that's right. And that it's that first follower that gives comfort to the rest of the people around them to then finally come out and engage in it as well. So if you, you might not be strong enough to be the leader and because we experienced the like ostracization the tyranny, from society yeah. in the last three years, I, I, we get that. Now, people like Alex and I, we're car salesmen. We're used to it. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, dude, I, I fail every day. Well, well, yeah, <laughs> I get rejected every day. Not even that. I, I used to, when I would like start dating a new girl, and you'd meet the family. I would half not want to tell them I'm a car salesman because they looked at you funny, right? So I'm yeah. used to that. I've done that for years. So I understand if you're not comfortable being the leader, but if you see someone around you being that leader, be the first follower, engage in the conversation. And you don't have to say, oh yeah, 100%, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. All you need to do is bring up another relevant point that may, maybe was the thing that woke you up. Yeah. You know, maybe it was the thing that you questioned first. Maybe it was the, man, like... Why did they lock us in our house for 23 hours a day and only let us out for an hour if you're exercising? Like, why were the police checking people's coffee cups in the park to make sure that they actually had an excuse to not wear a mask? Like, that stuff why was crazy. Why would we lock people inside and away from the sun when we realise low vitamin D levels are the highest risk factors yeah. for this thing that they're trying to protect us That's from? That's right. Why did we close the gyms, but we let McDonald's and the Bottolo stay open during a health pandemic? Like... Those are the questions that you can ask. Why did we give $2 billion worth of taxpayer money to a company to allow them to call $2.6 billion a profit (laughs) uh, and give it to their shareholders? Yeah. Oh, and then if you want to look more into the Alan Joyce thing, look at how many um, Qantas is participating in a share buyback at the moment. So look at how many of Alan Joyce's shares he's selling and making an absolute pretty penny on at the moment. Well, a a share buyback in a lot of ways is even worse because... They, they are doing it because they are in such a strong cash position. Mm-hmm. The best thing they can do is buy back more of their um, sh- uh, shares, which pushes the price of the shares up because the availability of them is smaller. It's also Alan Joyce cashing out because he's resigning. Oh, yeah, he'll, they'll all resign. Anyone, like we've said, 
all the people at the top, all the people flying the flags, they're all going. Yeah. They're all going with big, fat, golden parachutes. Oh, yeah. So, and on that note, let's leave it there, guys. Be the first follower, and we'll see you next week.